0: Coming up on Leading Edge.
1: I'd say until we've got gender pay sorted, race pay sorted, until we've sorted out the climate crisis, we have to keep pushing. And that's what
0: Gen Z are doing. We should embrace their entrepreneurial spirit, let them be creative, listen to their ideas, and don't make them wear psychological masks to work. This is Leading Edge, a Henley Business School podcast.
2: Welcome to Leading Edge from Henley Business School. I'm Thomas Mason. We're back for a special bonus episode of our third series, and it's called The Future of Work, How to Channel the Spirit of Gen Z. What we're really talking about here is understanding the considerable demands of younger employees and what they're looking for in the workplace, and then finding some sort of accommodation with the demands of employers. Here to help me tackle this rather meaty topic, I've got not just one, but two fantastic guests. Dr Nima Pasha is Henley's Director of Careers and Professional Development, which means she works closely with HR professionals to support graduates and help them understand the job market and the world of work and Dr Anne Dibley is the head of apprenticeship programs at Henley Business School which have expanded from something you do as a school leaver to something you can combine perhaps with an undergraduate degree or even tackle as a senior leader. Nima and Anne a very warm welcome.
1: Thank you Thomas. Thank you so much great to be here.
2: So let's start with some definitions then exactly who are we talking about when we say Gen Z maybe I'll put that one to you Anne.
0: Let's start with when these people were born. So these are people born between around 1997 and 2010. So they are now between 12 and 24, 25 years old. Many of this Gen Z are now entering the workforce for the first time. They're the first real digital natives. They haven't had to learn technology like older people. They've been born into it. So they have an innate understanding of how technology works. And it's not that these people born from 1997 to 2010 have suddenly got totally different personalities or temperaments to to the the generations that came before. It's more the way they're shaped by the context around them, which, as we know, has been characterised by disruption, instability, change. So obviously, COVID has had a massive impact on these younger people and other things as well, climate emergency changes in the world of work Brexit so this context really affects their outlook and attitudes so if we're thinking of the differences between Gen Z and millennials or the generations that came before these differences stem from the slightly different world that these people have been born into
2: anything to add Nima on how he defined Gen Z
0: We're definitely not saying people have got personality transplants
1: or they're just innately better at technology. We feel uncomfortable with the technology that is around us sometimes if we're not um, immersed in it. So with Generation Z, what they are looking at, if you can imagine the amount of information that's coming in from looking at their TikTok feed, looking at their Twitter feed, looking at their Facebook feed, looking at their WhatsApps, looking at uh, numerous other things. What we notice about Gen Zs, for example, was the millennial generation, who are often called the MTV generation, where you'd have a blast of music, ad break, blast of music, ad break. And people used to say, millennials, they can't focus for longer than 15 minutes. Well, if you look at Gen Zs with the filter that they have, what we expect is that filter is reduced down from 15 minutes. And some research saying it's around eight seconds. Well, you can imagine now what you're having to do. It's not an attention problem. It's an ability to filter all this information and know what to focus on.
2: I think that's a good point, isn't it? That filter problem rather than attention problem. Because if you were being a bit critical or trying to typecast perhaps that generation, you say, oh, well, you know, younger Gen Z people, just they just don't pay attention. They can't concentrate on anything. But actually, what you're saying is that this is more of a response just to the overload of information that we all get across the generations. But they've had to be a bit smarter because they've grown up with it.
1: Absolutely. It, it's definitely around looking at how to sort of manage your social media. It's managing your brand on social media as well.
0: So social media enables these younger people to curate images of themselves. They're, they're basically in control of the images they, they put out about themselves. So they might have multiple Instagram accounts to show different aspects of their personalities. So, you know, these multiple accounts, and I think what this does is it enables this generation to construct a real sense of identity and and of of who they are uh, and what's important to them and what they value. And this really helps in terms of them defining their sense of purpose in life and Once they've constructed these social identities, they then want to align with other communities or groups who share those same values and sense of purpose. So if you then look at that in terms of the kind of employment they they want to, to go into, there's very much this idea of having a clear sense of purpose because they've articulated their sense of identity through social media looking for organizations that align with that whether their interests are in things like the environment sustainability sport fitness climate activism whatever it is so there's this sense of gen z wanting to align their sense of purpose and identity with an organization that shares those same values
2: so we've got purpose on the one hand what else is it you would say that Gen Z is looking for in the workplace?
0: Definitely this idea of flatter structures. They want to see their contributions recognised. You know, one thing I, I would say is they're very entrepreneurial. They're very hardworking. They want to, to to get on and achieve things. So I think that means that they're likely to be less deferential to hierarchies than... Uh, people from older generations. They want to be able to make a contribution. They want to be able to to make an impact. They want training and learning and development opportunities. It's interesting because I think they've got a very clear idea of their views on the world, on the things that they think are good and bad and what needs to happen in the world. But at the same time, they've got a real thirst for new experiences and for learning they're in a hurry to to get on with work they they have high expectations of progressing quite rapidly so you know just thinking about apprenticeships they're a very good way for gen z to get into the workplace more more quickly so a, a company could hire a school leaver get them into their workplace alongside having them in a, a higher education context
2: nima you've studied this in some depth at Henley Business School, Uh, you've looked at what uh, Gen Z uh, is looking for in the workplace versus other generations. What what are some of the top findings?
1: Again, I'm going to just say we are all different. Individuals are different. and I think it's important that we recognise we're all different people. But society, politics, technology economics do shape a generation into a particular way of thinking. So if we think about what this generation has been thinking, first of all, they're coming into an uncertain financial market, an uncertain uh, property market, and certainly the area um, where I've uh, devoted a lot of work into is looking at stability in organisations, which has really been really pushed out with, with the experience of the pandemic. So in terms of their experience, they're experienced in being flexible and adaptable. And one of the things that employers are saying at the moment that they're really looking for is flexibility and adaptability and understanding of technology. So in many ways, through the experiences that they have and doing something like an apprenticeship programme where you can, you can have that adaptability of both work and study is a perfect storm. But some of the other... Um, research in Henleys that we looked at is that when we looked at Gen Z's, they're the first generation whose photo has gone up on Facebook, on social media with the scan before they were born. They are completely out there. They've always been raised in an always connected environment. And as such, What we found in our research, they cite the ability to choose their own technology as a driver in where they want to work, 66% we found wanted that. What they also want, because they see workplaces as a place of social connection, the work-life balance is kind of stretched. We found that 77%, that's quite a big number, three quarters of them wanting an office with good facilities where connection and social activity is important.
2: And what about this idea that Gen Z want companies that are making a positive impact in, on society that, that get this idea of having purpose?
1: Yeah, I mean, purpose is, is a term that we're looking at a lot more now. Organisations are talking about it a lot more. When they start engaging with um, people, all employees, it's the authenticity around that I think is really important. We found that half of us, 47%, want our employers to make an impact, a positive impact on society. But what we found when we dug a bit deeper is that 66%, that's two thirds of Gen Z, saying this is really important. So it is something that employers need to consider. It's influencing organisations to think, actually, we do need to start considering what our organisation is about. What's our purpose? what, What imprint are we leaving on society?
2: And we're talking about channeling the spirit of Gen Z, and part of that is talking to Gen Z in a language they understand, not being condescending, but the terminology of that language keeps changing quite rapidly, doesn't it? So I'm I'm just thinking here, Nima, to an article that you wrote in 2019, not that long ago, but long enough. It was called How Woke is the Future of Work? It was about this term woke um, encapsulating some of these values that Younger generations are looking for, but it's also a term that's become quite loaded and almost part of the political debate and and culture wars. So, if you could just tell us what you mean by that term "woke" and whether it still has a relevance in 2022.
1: When I wrote that naively in 2019, the term "woke" didn't have the same connotation because the term "woke" has been around since the 1960s, part of the civil rights movement, looking at racial equity. So it was a comfortable term and now because of politicisation, woke has become really loaded and as you say, part of the culture wars. It means in some ways, people used to say do-gooder, doing the right thing, politically correct. So it's the kind of people that think we need to, for example, progress on diversity and inclusion, progress on climate, progress on particular saying, work make workplaces comfortable for people from all backgrounds, sexual orientation, um, you know, shared toilets. These are kind of like the things it could boil down to. It doesn't mean breaking down statues or stopping freedom of speech. What it's suggesting, I think, with this generation in particular, who feel comfortable about talking about these political things, taking a stand, we've actually got a little bit more what we might call activism that's coming into the workplace to say, I'm looking for organisations that have a stronger stance on diversity. I'm looking for the ones that have the Black History Month, the Pride Month, and ones that are making a stand to say, I want to go to net zero on carbon. That, I think, is really what we're thinking about, what reflection of the word woke in the workplace is and how it relates to this generation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's good when it makes sense for an organisation to have those corporate values that match those of the employee so how, how else then do you think employers can communicate with gen z get the language right be aware of those diversity issues and, and actually move them on a bit in the workplace
0: i think authenticity is the key thing Companies need to genuinely mean it. And, you know, when we're talking about Gen Z wanting to work in organisations that align with their sense of purpose and values, they will spot it a mile off if the company isn't genuine about it. So in terms of communicating, it's about communicating authentically. The organisation genuinely believes in the purpose that they're saying they believe in and acting in a way that allows the Gen Z person to feel the, the truth of that. So it's not so much about being clever about your communication. It's being authentic and genuine about what you're saying. Gen Z do have high standards. They will hold companies to account. So it's all about transparency, I think, in communication, not hiding things. I did some research with younger people in this sort of age group, looking at the link between their brand choices and their personal values. And I found very strong associations there between brand choices and personal values. And if you think about it, choosing an employer is one of the biggest brand choices that you can make.
2: I guess one of the ways that an organisation can be authentic and deliver is how it develops its staff. You've mentioned both of you that Gen Z have pretty high expectations, not just of their employer in terms of values, but actually in terms of their career path, they want to get on in the workplace, quite rapid progression. How do we develop Gen Z and keep them interested?
0: Their their expectations are, are higher, that it's possibly going to be harder for organisations to to keep them, to retain them, because we see lots of examples of Gen Z having, uh, you know, side hustles, different jobs, doing different things, wanting to experiment. They're not necessarily interested in in a job for life. So for an organisation to keep them interested and and retain them, I'd say perhaps think about more project-based work, give them goals, put them in teams working on specific goal-based projects, rather than thinking in terms of long-term role based organizations need to be prepared to take advantage of the entrepreneurial spirit that they have and their creativity to let them experiment and try things give them a project to do let them you know let them run with it think also in terms of shorter time frames so to give them goals for the next few weeks what are you going to achieve next month and let's think about three months perhaps but keep them interested but really be prepared to take advantage of the great ideas and the creativity and the entrepreneurial go-getting spirit that they have rather than trying to squash that.
2: I rather like that suggestion in that it's about their contribution to a project their ideas perhaps rather than what they're job title is if we're thinking it might be difficult to make somebody uh, a manager a project manager or a director or a marketing director or an editor within 18 months of joining the organisation which is what somebody who was really ambitious might want and expect maybe putting them in a project team it's a chance to prove themselves in a, a flatter structure if you like without that label on it
0: Exactly. It comes back to this idea of the flatter structures, that they definitely feel they have a great contribution to make. Uh, Why should they wait for five years until they're at a level when they can make that contribution, when they can make it now? And organisations should be prepared to take advantage of that.
2: So we give people opportunities, but then also we do have to reflect performance back in the real world. And Nima, you've got some thoughts on just how important feedback and mentoring is.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what we found in the research that we did is that Gen Z's need the autonomy, but they need to be connected as well, which is a bit difficult for a manager. What we think is like, give you space, but also I'm always here for feedback. So we recognise it's difficult. But some work that Google did right at the beginning of the pandemic, they started seeing that productivity started dropping, and in particular, the Gen Z's. And what they looked at is whilst technology and flexibility is very important, um, particularly to this generation, what they really found actually is getting good feedback how they can start feeling a sense of connection and connectedness was really important so what they did was start putting in a whole series of coaching feedback mentoring championing and putting that effort in with this group of people you could imagine what it'd be like isolated from work and trying to work this out once they started putting that in productivity went up because engagement went up. So even when we go back into the workplace, it's a good investment for an employer. Having sort of regular coaching catch up with uh, managers can really enable people to sort of get the kind of vibe right, if you see what I mean.
2: Maybe it's a bit harder now while we're working remotely, but do you think it's easier now to express to an employer, to a boss, to a trusted mentor, if you're not feeling okay? Are we more open now as a society? Talking about mental health, about stress, uh, and is that something Gen Z perhaps has learned to talk about in a way that was swept under the carpet with previous generations?
1: Certainly, in schools, it's uh, it integrated a lot more with understanding about personal well-being. I still think talking about mental health, uh, whilst we say it's a lot easier, it's still quite hard for people. But what organisations are doing, like including more well-being, including more things into the organisation at least means that we're possibly a little bit more open to talking about when we feel a little bit too stressed. But certainly for Gen Z's, I think there is a little bit more understanding of well-being and they can talk about it a bit more, but it's still a lot to do in that area.
2: We've talked then about Gen Z being quite entrepreneurial, being interested in mindfulness and mental health. and Maybe we should recognise then that there's more to life in the world of work than just a single job. Tell us a bit about this idea of something beyond the nine-to-five, the portfolio career, how does it apply to Gen Z?
1: For younger generations, Gen Zs, it's looking at doing things that gives fulfillment, satisfaction, a chance to do more creative things. So if you're developing a career in tax, which is fantastic, and you're enjoying that, you might be also thinking, I wouldn't mind starting a t-shirt business to develop my entrepreneurial skills. What we found is 34% aged 16 to 24, which was the highest percentage, want to do a side hustle. And it's probably going to to grow it may well be organizations think okay how do we incorporate this in we're in a different world of work now uh, what are the benefits of having somebody who's developing a, a career in tax who's also you know doing this whole kind of like printing and selling of t-shirts as well maybe this could be really advantageous to us as an organization how do we balance it How are we going to, you know, enable them to do well so we get a really enriched experience from it? But we've probably got a few boundaries. Make sure, you know, the tax stuff is done. You know, you've got to kind of have that conversation at some stage. But, yeah, having that flexibility, I think, is really something that is probably going to grow.
2: Maybe that then goes back to some of the feedback and goal setting you've been talking about. But that really does bring us then, doesn't it, to this idea of what are the challenges for leaders in motivating gen z how do we give people freedom and autonomy within an organization or perhaps for one out of the five days a week maybe maybe it's on a voluntary basis maybe it's some support maybe it's just giving people the space but how as leaders do we deal with this new generation that if we were to characterize them some people might say some people in that generation are a bit entitled, they're a bit pushy. How do we develop those leaders of the future?
1: We could say all young people are entitled and pushy because we're starting a career and we have excitement and hope for what we can achieve. And we want. And five years when you're 21 is a long time. We can understand that. So I think with every organisation, every recruiter is knowing how to support, how to engage and recognise ambition in terms of somebody who wanted to progress is a good thing. Who wants somebody saying, oh, I'm fine, I don't want to progress at all, no thanks? You don't want that in in your your new recruits especially. So I think it's enabling people to have the autonomy. That means not micromanaging, giving people a chance, but as I said previously, what's really important is the check-in And it's that kind of coaching and support and giving a chance for people to progress. Now, if you're in a flatter organisation, it's harder to progress, as as Anne was talking about, in terms of this flatter, less hierarchical. But people still want their space, like I'm known for this. So it might be that you can have a chance to join employee organisations on climate change or the, the lunchtime film club or whatever it is. You create different ways that people can start contributing to an organisation and feeling a sense of purpose and satisfaction.
2: Over to you, Anne. How how do we develop the leaders of the future?
0: I don't think they're particularly entitled, to be honest. I think they know that they have to work hard to succeed. They've been through tough times. They're prepared to work hard. They do know what they want. They want this sense of, of balance. They'll they'll want time off to to pursue their interests, their passions, they, or they'll they'll want to incorporate their passions into their working life or or have space to do it outside of their working life if they can't bring it into their working lives. They they want this sense of community, they they want this culture where the whole person is is considered. Some organizations might not be ready for that. You know, they have to think afresh about how they give opportunities to to new recruits coming into the workforce and see how they can accommodate the needs and the, the desires that that this generation has because it's, it's definitely beneficial to them. They they want personalized coaching. They they want to feel there's someone in the organization who cares about their development. So, you know, organizations have to be prepared for that. They want to get feedback. They want these learning and development opportunities. The leaders in organisations really have to think carefully about whether they're set up to accommodate those those kind of needs because if they do, then they will reap the rewards from it.
2: And if companies are not set up to deal with Gen Z, is there perhaps a bit of a role for reverse mentoring, a bit of a two-way street, learning from younger employees?
0: I think that's a brilliant idea, definitely. When we run programmes at, at Henley, often we have group where there might be someone who's 27 and someone else who's 55 and we deliberately put them in teams together because we absolutely believe that the older person has as much, if not more, to learn from the younger person than, than vice versa. And then you do get a real appreciation of the, the differences and the the, the the different perspectives from younger and older. So, you know, I, I think that's actually a, a really good idea, that concept of reverse mentoring.
2: Even if we're a bit older then, is there a way we can bottle a bit of that spirit of Gen Z for ourselves and our own careers, Nima?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you look at some of the things around Gen Z, some of the data suggests so whilst there's, you've got this creativity, entrepreneurial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what separates them from uh, millennials is that actually more pragmatic, especially financially, because the experience that they have actually saving is higher. So in a sense, the side of bottling it is kind of like embracing that creative risk side. But, you know, look after yourself as well, your mental health, your financial health. So I think that would be a quite nice thing to bottle. Embrace both sides. You don't have to go completely YOLO for a millennial phrase of um, you only live once, but more kind of you only live once, but live it well.
0: And I'd like to add to that, I think um what i would like to bottle is this concept of being able to take the whole person to work because you know whatever age you are we should we shouldn't have to wear masks so, well i mean i know literally we have been wearing masks but in terms of, <laughs> in terms of disguising our personalities we should be able to take the whole person to to work and be who who we are and i think if gen z pushes us more Towards that, that's a really good thing, and you know, they have very high expectations regarding ethical approaches, sustainability, equity, diversity, and inclusion. That's a great thing, and I think we should bottle that and we should all share in that.
2: Great, well, we've got YOLO there, you only live once, reminding us of a a new acronym taking the whole person to work. I'm liking all of this. I think we could start a whole, uh, we could bottle all of this and take a six pack back home. But what are Anne and Nima, what are the main takeaways of this discussion? As we try and channel the spirit of, of Gen Z, what are three things each that you can, you can give me that, we can, that our listeners can take away?
1: I think the first one, and most importantly, is to recognise how important technology changes us and, and shapes us, and that's for every generation. And we think about this generation, the type of technology, the types of advancements in technology that are coming in, they're really having to respond quickly, become more flexible, become more adaptable, and as I say previously, really become much stronger brand managers of themselves and you know know how to sort of filter information. So I think that's really critical.
0: I would say a key takeaway is let's be prepared to live up to their high standards in terms of ethics, sustainability, equity, diversity, inclusion. Just be prepared to to try and reach their high standards.
1: I'd say until we've got equitable, we've got gender pay sorted, race pay sorted, until we've sorted out the climate crisis, et cetera, et cetera, we have to keep pushing. And that's what Gen Z are doing. So we haven't gone too far. We've probably crawled a little inch forward to where we are. And Gen Z, many of them are pushing us to do that further. So I think that would be my number two, which is the same as Anne's number two.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just build on that slightly uh, a little more. My uh, number two would be that Gen Z want meaningful, purposeful work, so let's be prepared to give them that. My final one was really about we should embrace their entrepreneurial spirit, let them be creative, listen to their ideas and um, don't make them wear psychological masks to work, even if they might have needed to wear physical masks during COVID. Let them be who they are. And I think
1: my last one would be flexible and auton- or autonomous work. You know, I mean, this is important. I mean, work, how we've structured it, nine to five, five days a week. It started uh, about 100 years ago from manufacturing. Why are we sticking to that? You know, this is like previous industrial revolution kind of thing. Why are we not thinking about work differently, flexible, four days, shorter, different places, different people?
0: And it, it's important, though, the point you made earlier, Nima, about, um, you know, maybe we should have some separation. But is it is it good to always be constantly on and online because we, we get such a blurring of, of boundaries between what work is and what home life is? And uh, so... I I think you're right. Sometimes we need to just stop and think about the the direction we're going in 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 terms of work and um making sure that that people do have time to switch off as well.
2: We've talked there about then unmasking ourselves, and some of us in the workplace would have had to perhaps been wearing those masks in the office when we're not sitting at our desks, and hopefully that won't go on forever, but. As we've asked all the guests here on Series 3 of Leading Edge, as we head to some kind of new normal, hopefully coming out of this pandemic, uh, what's one trick or thing you've discovered in this new world that you plan to keep on doing in your life? Uh, And then number two, what's one thing you can't wait to stop doing?
0: So uh, my one thing that I want to carry on doing which strangely is something that I would have thought is that probably one of the most boring things in the world pre-pandemic is... Um Going on walks around our local streets with my kids, honestly, it was just the best thing ever because we just talked and and talked and talked. So one thing I want to stop doing, actually, well, not stop doing completely, but decrease the frequency of are all the online meetings that I'm on. So, uh, you know, I think my record is to have had uh, 11 meetings in one day And, you know, they were not short meetings either. So by the end of the day, I actually didn't know where I was or who I was.
2: And Nima, what about you? One trick or thing you plan to keep doing?
0: I was thinking about this and I had
1: coronavirus, you know, during this pandemic. And that really did make me think differently. And one of the things I, uh, I thought about is what I plan to do is that because I had coronavirus really reflected about what's happened in the pandemic and how it's affected so many of us. Well, everybody globally, um, what the important things are. And as Anne kind of said, really, it's the smaller things that are actually the bigger things. And I think what I want to do in order to disassociate myself from some of the stress that builds up, particularly at work and something that happens and it blows up and you think, this is really important, oh my God. But when you're poorly and you're away from it, you think, no, I can't actually do anything. And maybe through things like meditation and other things is to disassociate myself from the stress. A little bit like this too shall pass because at work, the kind of stresses that happen do pass. And the, the one thing um, I can't wait to stop doing they're like, you have your best top or your best perfume or your favourite shoes, you think, I'll oh, put, oh, put those away for best. Because I think, you know, because best is another time. Get that stuff out, get the perfume, get the good candle, <laughs> get the best drink out, get using all that stuff and enjoy it.
2: Well, I can assure our listeners, both of my guests are beautifully attired for this recording of Leading Edge. So some really interesting takeaways there and things we're going to keep doing. Just to replay a few of those, then be aware of the role of technology when thinking about Gen Z. Learn about them. Reach their high standards. Keep pushing on equity in the workplace, diversity. Take meaningful work seriously, uh, embrace and bottle Gen Z's entrepreneurial spirit uh, and be prepared to work flexibly and differently. I think that's a fantastic list we can all bottle uh, and use when motivating the leaders of the future. Dr Nima Pasha and Dr Anne Dibley, thanks very much for joining us here on Leading Edge.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Leading Edge is a Henley Business School podcast. This episode was written and presented by Thomas Mason. Visit hly.ac slash leadingedge
1: for more.